This is an ABC podcast. For the first time in our aviation history, a Boeing 737 has crashed in Australia. But thankfully, everyone on board survived. A large aircraft going down is, um, is generally quite catastrophic. So in this particular instance, it does look as though it's potentially clipped uh, the, the ridge line and has pancaked down. So certainly a horizontal landing as opposed to vertically into the ground makes a big difference. Um, but these pilots, I'm sure, are very lucky to be alive. And the psychedelics industry say, although it was surprised the TGA changed the classification of psilocybin from banned to controlled, it's all set to supply the market. Certainly was a surprise. So, I mean, we're already well advanced. Our grow room is just about finished commissioning. So we're pretty much ready to start cultivation practices over the, the next few weeks. I'm Sinead Mangan and this is Australia Wide, coming to you from Wajak Country. But first, we're going to head to Hopetown on the south coast of Western Australia. The small coastal town finds itself today at the centre of the aftermath of a major and history-making crash of a Boeing 737, made all the remarkable by the fact that everyone survived it. The firefighting plane left the runway in Bustleton yesterday afternoon to battle a blaze burning in Hopetown. But something went wrong and the pilots had to land deep in the scrub of Fitzgerald River National Park. At some point, the plane burst into flames, but miraculously, the pilots walked away from the blaze. Here's the state's premier, Mark McGowan. I assume the worst, but I'm advised that the pilots have survived and the crew have survived. So that's a miracle. I'm amazed. It's wonderful news. WA Premier Mark McGowan. This crash is a first in Australian aviation history. It's the first time a Boeing 737 has ever crashed on Australian soil. Our reporter Emily Smith is in Hopetown at the Incident Control Centre and she joins me now. Now Emily, a remarkable crash and thankfully the crew did survive. Before we get on to what's happening right where you are, what do we know about the well-being of the crew? Well, as you say, the two Canadian pilots um, are believed to be doing really well, um, which is just the talk of the town here in Hopeton. People are just absolutely amazed that a 737 could crash in the Fitzgerald River National Park and the two people um, could walk away from that. As you said, it's believed to have to have um, caught on fire and, and be a write-off. Um, and people who, who know just how thick and wild this national park is, are just they're just amazed. Um, so they did manage to walk out of the wreckage and then um, were assessed uh, at the Ravenstop Hospital, which is not very far away from Hopeton. It's about a half-hour half drive and uh, were later transported uh, to Perth. So a really good news story is, is really how people are seeing it um, in Hopeton today. Certainly. WA's Fire and Emergency Services Commissioner Darren Clem spoke about how remarkable it was that the crew walked away. Let's listen to what he had to say. Dave, Dave managed i mean it is an unbelievable story really that they've they've been able to to put the 737 down um in the in the national park there and and both walk away um it is uh you know obviously that's a, a fantastic outcome for them you don't uh you don't see often that people are able to to walk away from those sorts of events so uh you know outstanding result for them um however you know that they'll There'll be an ATSB investigation and um, you know, it will be 
Uh, I'm sure a lot of interest in in the circumstances surrounding uh, how it occurred. WA's Fire and Emergency Services Commissioner Darren Clem. As Darren Clem said, a lot of interest in what caused the crash and that of course falls under the remit of the Australian Transport Safety Bureau. Emily, have investigators, investigators rather arrived into Hopeton? Uh, it's not believed that they've arrived just yet, uh, but people are making preparations for them to get here, certainly within the next couple of days. Uh, as we heard before, um, the, the plane's believed to have caught on fire and, and believed to be a write-off uh, out there in the Fitzgerald River National Park. So crews have been going out there just to make sure it's safe for them to access when they do get there. Uh, it's understood uh, fire breaks and things like that have been looked at by people on the ground here. Uh, so definitely Definitely, everything's ready for them to get here and uh, work out, hopefully, what, what caused this plane to go down. Angus Mitchell, who's the Chief Commissioner of the Australian Transport Safety Bureau, spoke at a press conference in Perth. It was at the airport this afternoon. We'll have a listen to what he had to say about it. This is the second large tanker aircraft that we've had to investigate uh, in a collision with terrain over the last three years. The last one being, many of you will be aware, was a uh, C-130 that crashed near Coomera in New South Wales. We will go through a normal investigation here. It's very early days. The focus for the next couple of days will be interviewing the pilots involved and any witnesses plus getting any maintenance records, etc. We know the aircraft, this C-737, um, was a converted in the US. It was a passenger aircraft converted into firebombing, and it's been out here for a period of time uh, supporting the Western Australian government. Uh, the exact uh, rest of the details of the aircraft is something we're pulling together at the moment. The tasking involved on the day, the weather conditions, they'll all be essential parts of our investigation. We're hoping to have investigators on the site pending it being safe uh, tomorrow and that's where we'll hope to get the flight data recorder, the cockpit voice recorder, which will give us a much better indication of what was occurring uh, at the, the sequence of events and particularly what was occurring in the cabin at the time of the impact. What we will try and get a very good understanding of was there anything mechanical behind this? Was it in the, the tasking involved? Was it the, the environment involved? But that'll take us some time to piece that all together. That's Angus Mitchell, the Chief Commissioner of the Australian Transport Safety Bureau, and he was speaking a little earlier at Perth Airport. Now, obviously, Emily, a, a lot to be investigated and the level of detail is kind of weaving out the level of detail that, that they're going to be looking at. But can you tell me a bit more about these Boeing 737s that have been used for firefighting? How did that come about and, and what company are behind it? So the company is a Canadian company called Coulson's Aviation and basically it's believed that the aircraft are a 737 very much like a civilian aircraft but uh, converted for firefighting. So they can carry about 15,000 litres of retardant um, compared to the helicopters that are used in WA they carry a bit over 4,000 litres whereas those smaller um, yellow water bombers that you might have seen um, they carry a bit over 3,000 litres. So they can carry a lot lot, uh, of retardant Um, so obviously very helpful in that regard. They're being used more and more around the world um, but following this second crash, as you mentioned, the, the, the second crash in three years of a Coulson's aviation plane, um, all, all of their uh, aircraft have been grounded for the time being uh, in Australia. Um, Department of Fire and Emergency Services Commissioner Darren Clem did say today that the contract that the WA government has with this company is not going to be reviewed at the moment. Uh, But as I said, all all of this company's planes are um, being stood down for the time being. 
Um, I'd imagine, obviously, in, in Hopeton, this is the talk of the town, as you said earlier. What have you heard from locals about it? Well, people are really focusing on, on the positives here. The, the town is buzzing with the news that the pilots managed to get away um, virtually unscathed by, unscathed by all reports from this crash. I spoke to the Ravensthorpe Shire President Keith Dunlop a little earlier. Uh, he's saying he's sure this is the type of story that kids today are going to be telling their grandkids one, one day. It's just such a new, huge news story for this town. So the town is, is buzzing with that. Um, there, there is a lot happening in the town. This fire is still being brought under control that the fire, that the plane was here to manage in the first place. Um, so there's a big incident control centre. There's a lot of uh, shipping containers set up uh, on a basketball court in town to run that out of. There's uh, tents here on the Oval where it looks like DFS crews are potentially staying. Um, so the whole town is, is buzzing virtually. And will you be staying overnight as well? No, it doesn't look doesn't look like it at this stage, um, but we'll keep posted on the story and, and see if there's any developments. Well, thanks very much for keeping us up to date. Emily Smith in Hopeton, thanks a million. Thank you. We are one, but we are many, and from all the lands on earth we come, we share a dream, and sing with one more. You're listening to ABC Radio. right now you're listening to Australia Wide with me, Sinead Mangan. And remember, if you do miss a show, you can always listen back on the ABC Listen app. Just go to the Listen app and search Australia Wide and voila, you're going to find us there. And it would be great if you hit subscribe while you're there, because from our point of view, the more subscribers, the merrier. So we can keep telling you great stories from all around Australia, Australia at a time that's particularly convenient to you. You're listening to ABC Australia Wide. A surprise announcement from the Therapeutic Goods Administration has been celebrated by mental health advocates around the country. Last week, the TGA changed the classification of psilocybin and MDMA from banned to controlled. Advocates hope the treatments will bring relief to thousands of Australians suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and severe depression. Our reporter in Ballarat, Rio Davis, has the story. I served in the Air Force for 16 years and I found myself battling with, with mental health issues, you know, anxiety, depression and some trauma-related mental health. And yeah, I'd gone down the routes of psychotherapy and the, the Western system of antidepressants and, and things like that. And, and, and yeah, I, I just kept finding myself back in this place and worsening. Yeah, I was kind of a, a running out of hope and, and uh, I'd given up, really. Yeah, that's when I decided to head over to South America and, and try sit in a wellness centre there with psychedelic medicines after hearing that there were successes happening with people really turning their mental health around over there. So it, it was a big risk and a big financial outlay, but I ended up taking the, the dive just out of desperation. It was like, it was this or, you know, I don't know what was going to happen if I kept deteriorating. So yeah, I made that decision and, and um, found it really was transformative for me and it was life-changing. So I felt when I got back to Australia, I felt this a bit of a responsibility to share that and to, to help like share the successes that I'd had and that helped 
break down the stigma and all those sorts of things. Started the advocacy journey a few years ago. That's Michael Raymond, an Air Force veteran who's grappled with severe depression for years. Last week, he and a movement of psychiatrists, scientists and advocates scored a surprise win. The Therapeutic Goods Administration changed the classification of psilocybin, the active component of magic mushrooms, and MDMA from banned to controlled. When the changes come into effect in July, qualified psychiatrists will be able to prescribe MDMA for post-traumatic stress disorder and psilocybin for treatment-resistant depression. President of the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists, Vinay Lacra, says the TGA's cautious approach will help to build a better understanding of mental illnesses. As part of the authorised prescriber scheme of the TGA, there are quite a few requirements everyone has to go through, so... They have to be approved as a authorised prescriber by a human research ethics committee. Most of the hospitals or universities have an ethics committee, so they would have to approve it. Then they would have to apply for a licence to import the medications. They have to collect some information as well. So I think it's a, it's a reasonably good process to make sure that we are able to deliver the treatments to the people who need them in a safe manner. Despite several failed attempts to deschedule the drugs, mental health charity Mind Medicine Australia's application to the TGA in 2022 attracted 12,000 public submissions. The TGA's interim decision later that year indicated the drugs would remain banned. The turnaround on allowing the treatment has taken many in the sector by surprise, with both advocates and industry expecting the changes years down the track. Sean Duffy is the CEO of Reset Mind Sciences, an offshoot of an Australian medicinal cannabis company. He says they've moved quickly to start local production of psilocybin. It certainly was a surprise. So, I mean, we're already well advanced. Our grow room is just about finished commissioning. So we're pretty much ready to start cultivation practices over the, the next few weeks. So we're, we're in good shape on that front. All of our commercialisation plans, I guess we were thinking that some of them were probably a couple of years out. I suppose the main implication of the decision for reset is that our plans will be moved forward. But compared to medical marijuana, which patients take regularly, Mr Duffy says psilocybin is only taken twice throughout the course of therapy. It's important with psychedelics that a patient goes into the dosing treatment in the right headspace beforehand. It's that the mindset that a patient brings to it is very important. The therapists have to spend time building rapport and preparing the patient for the dosing days. They would then have a dosing day which takes six to eight hours, or the effect of the drug lasts for six to eight hours. And then perhaps the most important part of it is the integration counselling that comes after the dosing day. So the, the psilocybin is certainly thought to create what's called a period of neuroplasticity for a few weeks after dosing. And that means that patients have the opportunity to reform neural pathways and reshape thinking around some of these sorts of conditions that are being trialled for. So the skill of the psychotherapist is to make sure that during that period of integration that they're able to help the patient work through the issues that they might have and if all goes well, provides them more enduring benefit and therefore not need daily medication. For advocate Michael Raymond, the change could herald a new era for treatment of people with mental ill health like himself. For me, I feel like this is just the beginning. It's going to take a little while probably for the stigma around these medicines to be broken down because there's 50 years of misinformation that they're toxic and cause all sorts of things and people to do all sorts of things. But obviously there is a spectrum of use and some people you know, have abused these medicines in the past and still may continue to do that. But in the therapeutic sense, I feel like we're just at the beginning where you know, we're going to potentially open these up to other mental 
illnesses and you know there might be other medicines that because there's there's other psychedelic medicines that are also having really transformative effects on other mental illnesses as well so i think there's more to come and yeah we're just at the beginning and thanks to rio davis for that story from ballarat in victoria this is abc australia wide the Exmouth Gulf in Western Australia's north is home to an abundance of marine life, including dugons, whales and a range of coral. The eastern and southern areas of the Gulf are being turned into marine parks, following a recommendation in a report two years ago by the state's Environmental Protection Authority. A task force is now looking at whether further protections are needed. Our Pilbara reporter, Rosemary Murphy, has more. Exmouth resident Grace Keast talks excitedly as she speaks about finding the nest of a hawksbill turtle while out walking her dog along the beach near the local golf course. Last month, 21 hatchlings of the endangered species came out of the nest. Then the following evening on the Sunday, we were there with a couple of people and started seeing the sand move and uh, another 67 hawksbill hatchlings came out. Ms Case says she was told by the Department of Parks and Wildlife Services it was the first documentation of hawksbill sea turtle hatchlings entering the Gulf. For her, it highlights why further protections are needed. The beach itself has no protection from people driving on it. We definitely need some protection from the the motorists but also in the waters having speed limits on on the, in the shallows even marine protected areas for a large part of the gulf would be ideal Last year, the WA government established a task force to guide further decision-making around the Exmouth Gulf and it is expected to provide some interim recommendations in August. The body will give advice on the social, cultural and environmental management of the area, working with the community as well as the federal and state governments. Task Force Chair Lane Ashforth MacDonald says this year's focus will be the western and northern parts of the Gulf. We'll really focus on the marine aspect of the Gulf and really focus on what what sort of further protections are needed in order to sort of protect the marine component of the Gulf. In the years following, we we will also consider obviously the terrestrial environment, but, but really for the the purpose of this year that the main focus will be on the marine areas. Marine scientist Ben Fitzpatrick says there's still a lot that's not understood about the area and many lifetimes of work could be undertaken in the Gulf. We still have pretty limited understanding on the way how Exmouth Gulf actually functions as an ecosystem. Probably a couple of priorities for assisting with decisions around planning boundaries and the like would be just a better understanding of the distribution and abundance of organisms, plants, habitats that, that live on the seafloor. In some instances, we don't know, or in fact, some of the data sets that exist are actually a little bit inaccurate and, and describe reefs as sandy substrates. And those, those sorts of inaccuracies have a danger of, of actually 
resulting in a in an outcome that that isn't actually optimal for the conservation achieving the outcomes that that you hope to achieve with a marine park. The task force will operate for three years, and Miss Ashforth McDonald says part of their work will be addressing the knowledge gaps to help better guide decision making. That could take a variety of areas. Some of the knowledge gaps already identified is perhaps some further habit, habitat mapping, looking at the marine soundscape of the Gulf and the influence of acoustic impacts from sources such as ships, dredging and and other types of human activities. Of course, climate change is a big issue. So looking at predicted climate change impacts and mitigation strategies around that, looking at perhaps some further cultural mapping to identify Aboriginal sites of significance. Rosemary Murphy, with that story about the Exmouth Gulf in WA's north. You're listening to Australia Wide. On ABC Radio. Let's revisit a story we looked at last week on Australia Wide. You might remember locals in the small town of Eidsvold in the North Burnett region of Queensland, rather, were up in arms because the council was due to switch off its TV tower, leaving them without free-to-air TV. The council has since voted to delay, to delay the closure until June 30th, but warned it would be the final reprieve for Eidsvold residents. Here's what Mayor Les Hotz had to say. I would encourage anyone who hasn't uh, made the effort to look at a, the vast television uh, network or an alternative network uh, to do so within the next five months because um, the tower will be turned off on the 30th of June. Marilyn's Hots. But the Eidsvold community is still not satisfied. Reporter Pat Haney spoke to local resident Deborah O'Rourke to gauge how the community is feeling following the community decision. Do you feel like community has been listened to at this stage? No, no, not at all. I feel the council need to do some active listening. Just listening and nodding their head and saying their hands are tied is not helping the community. And what would you like to see done from here? Obviously, do you think... Well, I spoke to the mayor yesterday and he said, you've got six months more now to find other arrangements. Is that something that the community, you think, can do in this time? Um, Yes, I feel that we can, but we need to know our our grounds and our boundaries. Will the council allow us to raise money to fix our tower ourselves? Will they allow us to do that? Will they allow us to apply and help apply for grants? But they did say that in the meeting yesterday, that we asked for grants and the council didn't have enough um, resources to apply for grants, so they didn't. So we're just left in the dark. And there is obviously that alternative vast uh, satellite service where you can... buy your own set-top box, buy your own satellite, set it up yourself. Is that something that's accessible for most people in town? Well, I'd like to just um, get any of the councillors or people that have proposed that to go and tell their, you know, 70-plus parents, grandparents to go on, off you go, go and log on, have a good day, logging on, getting an email address, logging on to all the different sites that need you to log on so you can stream TV that they say that we're streaming and paying for the vast TV that, what did he say, cost a dollar a day over 21 months. I spoke to a lady yesterday that she's fully paid her rates, mate, and she can barely afford 50 cents a day. So if they would like to come and talk to us about what we can afford instead of just presuming what we can afford, if they're not here to help us, on, I don't need help. 
But I'm talking for the people that need help and they're just ignoring them. And some of them aren't ratepayers, but they live here and they pay rent and they, they pay the services in this town so ratepayers can afford to pay rates here. I mean, it all comes down to, we live in this town, why could you not come and talk to us? Not just blanket rule, read the agenda, we've made our decision and we made it 21 months ago. From this day forward, do you feel like if nothing changes that Eidsvold will be okay? If nothing changes with this one, what's saying who's next and what's next? Okay, if our council get away with doing this to a small township, um, what's stopping the next council from doing it to their township? And for our council, what's stopping if we don't voice our opinion and see some sort of conflict resolution happening? How can we trust you for other services? How can we uh, um, have faith in the council leading us in the future and providing resources for our children? And do you think the Eidsvold community will continue to fight for its TV, free-to-air TV service? Um, I would say some will. Some have sort of given up the ghost on you, and to me that's really sad that um, your ratepayers have given up on you. So then don't they feel that you're not going to listen, you're not going to do anything, you never do. So I'm really mad. I wasn't mad the other day, I was just going along and getting things done. But now, yep, we're going to hang on to the long term, mate. That's Deborah O'Rourke speaking to our reporter, Pat Heaney. And if you want to read more about this story, head to Australia's webpage. And that's Australia-wide for this Tuesday. Remember, you can email me. I'm having a problem saying things today. You can email us. Um, we'd love to hear what's happening in your part of the world. Just go australiawide.radio at abc.net.au and you'll get hold of myself and Alex. I'm Sinead Mangan. I hope you have a lovely evening. Cheerio. This is an ABC podcast.